Hello, dear listener. Thank you for downloading, streaming, listening to Spooky Doings podcast. My name is Rick Guzman. I'm an improviser from New York. And pardon the way I sound, because I'm sick. Uh, I've tested negative. Uh, so I don't know if it's just a regular run-of-the-mill cold or if allergies done fuck me up. Either way, we're here with a wonderful co-host. Uh, she is an improviser and a dear friend. She'll be performing with us. If you are listening to this the day that it drops, come on by at 3 o'clock to Young Ethel's in Brooklyn. You'll be able to see us in person on the stage doing horror improv. Shari Hazlett is with us today. Hello, Shari. Hey. Hi. Hi, hi. How's everything by you? Pretty good. Pretty good. Um, yeah, I'm sorry you're sick. It's not fun having a cold. I think everyone's having the allergy thing right now. Um, it, I, I don't need an excuse to eat more hot sauce, but I'm using this as an excuse <laughs> okay. to eat more hot sauce, even though I will uh, put hot sauce on most things because everything's better spicy. Agree, agree. Yeah. Speaking of spicy. <laughs> Speaking of spicy, yes. I asked you uh, what you wanted to talk about, and you suggested a wonderful film that yes. uh, I first saw in the theater because I'm old as fuck. Where you know, just a just a nice little road trip movie. People going south of the border, and things going awry. You chose to talk about from dusk till dawn. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, it's one of my favorites. <laughs> it's one of your favorites, but you said you hadn't seen it in like 10 years, though. Well, okay, so I have favorite favorites that I will repeat watch all the mm -hmm. time. And I have a short list of those. And those are more <laughs> romantic comedies or like very specific. Like, I'll tell you what my three are. It's um, Dirty Dancing, A League of Their Own, and uh, When Harry Met Sally. I've like watched my... one of those movies. Oh, um, and I'm sorry. Well, a couple. Big Business and uh, Nine to Five sort of round out the top five. You've only seen one of those, which uh, one? Of, the, uh, of course. Because <laughs> Bruno Kirby is the shit and I miss him every day. <laughs> He's so good. That movie is so good. It's so perfect. I feel, and I've probably mentioned this before on the podcast, When Harry Met Sally is the saw of romantic comedies. Because it is brilliant. Yes. But a lot of bullshit have tried to emulate it. Yes. Yeah, it was like... There, there were a lot of romantic comedies afterwards where uh, it, it's it's two long-time friends that... They miss the point. That, that uh, you know, by the end of the movie, they realize they're the ones that should be together. And that's well, pr pretty much Saw. For romantic comedies <laughs> well to your point though everyone's yeah they tried to kind of copy this formula but they kind of picked like one piece of the part of the harry met sally premise and just really like dug in deep to that and this like can men and women ever really be friends and it's sort of this like modern will they or won't they? and everyone's tried to like can we be friends with friends without friends with benefit like all these other things mm -hmm. and but actually, like, the movie was really very, um, I don't want to say, like, modern necessarily, but it kind of was. It was a woman, like, in her 30s, and we still don't see a lot of this, who wants a career. She does also want to get married, and want. how do you balance having those two things? And having it all doesn't seem right, but really, she doesn't want to be alone. People don't want to be alone, and how do you balance those things, too, right? And With a sandwich at Katz's Deli. Yes, yes. And it's such a New York movie. And it's just so iconic. There's so many things in it that are absolutely perfect. And Carrie Fisher is amazing. Oh, yeah. Um, But yeah, it is. I love that you said that is absolutely yeah, the saw of, of romantic comedies. Yeah, everyone tries to copy. Mm -hmm. it's, yeah, it's very good. But from Nice Till Dawn is oh, the opposite of that. It's very original in its way. Oh, yes. Uh, Directed by Robert Rodriguez, written by Quentin Tarantino. You've got uh, Seth and Richard Gecko. They're on the run, uh, trying to get their 
ill-gotten gains to Mexico after busting Seth out of jail. And you've got the wonderful Michael Parks playing Earl McGraw for the first time. So yeah, he gets shot in the back of the head, but that doesn't matter to Quentin because he'll bring him back in subsequent films repeatedly. <laughs> and it's fantastic. <laughs> He's another person that, that's gone. And I miss way, way too much because Michael Parks is fucking brilliant. You look, you look a little bit puzzled. What do you think of, of Michael Parks? I don't have a, an opinion on Michael Parks. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I'm that's like, fine so so what what is it about this movie that makes you it one of your favorites um i love that well there are a couple just a couple different things one is just like it's this amazing meld of like of uh, tarantino and robert rodriguez who have complementary styles and aesthetics that was very interesting and it's every time I watch it it's completely fascinating to see in one film because it kind of has a it feels a bit like two movies in one mm -hmm. I can see you that I mean? yeah yeah there's like yeah part one is that feels very Tarantino like terrible criminals that also have you know some depth to them or you know kind of going through a thing and hold some innocent people um into it and there's a lot of blood and and terrible violence and then and then we get to the what is it the twi titty twister mm -hmm. and um yeah we have like um you know a whole show and music and it's flashy it feels very like robert rodriguez you know just like a lot a lot more going on um, it, it, it's it's kind show. of like psycho in a way in that <laughs> the movie starts about one thing and then you mm -hmm. get to a certain point and it becomes a completely different thing, um, which is something else that I enjoyed. Uh, when this movie came out, I want to say 95, I was working in a video store. So anytime there'd be a party, I'd bring the movies because they were free. So I'm at a party. I popped this in the VCR. For any of our young listeners, the VCR was what we watched movies <laughs> on before there were streaming services. Moving on. Um, and we get to the aforementioned titty twister and every guy at the party is like, we got to go to Mexico. It's going to be great. And they're high-fiving and whatever. And then there's the twist. A lot <laughs> of these people in the bar are vampires. And you see these guys shrinking. Like we, we don't, we ain't got to go to Mexico no more. And I did love bringing that surprise to these people that they hadn't heard what the twist was in advance. Right. Yeah, that's always a fun surprise. Well, because, okay, so Cheech Marin, his character, so just th that whole thing, he basically is like, <laughs> there are 20 different kinds of uh, pussy we have for you here at the Titty Twister. <laughs> that to me is amazing. I love, I can, I'll never tire of watching him do that. The, the whole pussy monologue, if you will. The pussy monologue, if you will. The pussy monologue is amazing. Um, but it's funny, like you were saying, like I just yeah, dudes were like, oh yeah, we gotta go to Mexico now. The titty twister until like the the surprise. But you know, it's so interesting because it's like that. Um, I mean, it's you know, basically yeah, it's like a like a brothel essentially with a bar and all that kind of stuff. And there's like it's live good, like, clean like live entertainment. There's live entertainment, like burlesque, whatever. But I mean, there's definitely sex work happening there, and. Um, but what was interesting too is like how uh, how that was depicted, uh, not with a focus on othering sex workers as much as it was like about the people who are in those kinds of places and very flashy with like exploitation, which I thought was cool because it was like funny and interesting, like stylistic choice, but also very like to me, maybe I'm reading into things, but and it was 1995. But what I see, it's a little bit of commentary. Um on that i don't know how much robert rodriguez thought about it but i'm gonna guess the two of them just had a blast work because when you're working with your friends <laughs> you're like no they just had fun and, and when you're creating with your friends you're just having a good fucking time well, uh for at least definitely in my experience it's like all right let, let's do this thing let's get some people together did they know 
Yeah, did they know it was going to be the last time George Clooney would try to act? I don't think so. (laughs) Okay, and I want to talk about that. But I also want to say this, too, is that it's like you're talking about, you know, getting people together and creating something and having like an idea in mind. But then you have like no control over how the audience interprets that. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, Which is interesting because I can I can see anything I, you know, anything I want. And what they say that might not have been intentional at all, but I definitely saw that. And that might be through, you know, today's lens versus, you know, the nineties when those things were very common, but um, yeah. Which, which things do you mean? Oh, um, you know, like now I'm like, oh, I wonder if that's like, you know, commentary on, you know, like, you know, you know, exploitation or how these places are like selling, you know, like that kind of thing. Like what I was mm-hmm. saying is that may not have been intentional, but now maybe in, it's just in today's context, it seems like it could be something. Like I just look at it as dudes are dumb. If you promise yes. them, <laughs> it, it, when you're beckoning pussy lovers to come into your establishment. Anything you ever want is here. <laughs> you know, men are dumb. They will wander into their death and gleefully yeah. in some cases. Yes. Um, which is great. But let's rewind a bit. Okay. To the Gecko Brothers on oh, yeah. the run. We... Yes. Okay. And also, George Clooney's neck tattoo is hilarious. Most neck tattoos are. But his was especially bad. That character is so bad. Right. Like well, the... it, it, it goes down the arm. We'll see later at the end of the film. Oh, yeah. But, you know, but yeah, most just neck tattoos, like, okay, that was a choice. Cool. What do you know? So you feel like, okay, so you felt like George Clooney was trying to act? Because I was noticing his acting in this movie. So I'm curious to hear what you think. I think, at least from what I've seen, it's the last thing that I've seen him in where he's not doing your typical George Clooney, which is your dapper, uh, witty gentleman who's all the way kind of charming. Seth Gecko is a thief. Uh, uh, that that's his thing. All he cares about is money and his dumb fucking brother, who's basically uh, the sexual predator version of Fredo oh. Corleone. <laughs> oh God! Oh. Yeah, I forgot how uncomfortable that part. Yeah, it's been about ten years. I was like, oh God. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, that 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 was always my opinion. I mean, I haven't seen every George. Clooney movie, but even that one where, that he does with the the Sandra Bullocks in space—that's basically George Clooney in space. Sandra Bullock in space. What did he do? Gravity, I think it was called the three D movie. Oh he's yeah, in, I, didn't, I didn't see that. He's in it right at the beginning. Picture George Clooney in space. That's him in this movie. Yeah, yeah. He usually does like a. I mean, he's not a character actor. Mm-hmm. You know? He's. He's really great at the 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 guy he plays, and those are like characters in movies that are you know around. It was funny though because I was watching him in this movie, and I it was I almost felt like like he was miscast. He seemed like an actor who was like cast as this hardened criminal. It felt like not very good casting. I was very conscious of him trying to <laughs> act like a person with no moral compass. It was him trying to break into movies because prior to that, yes. he was huge on ER. And if you're old as fuck like I am, you remember him soap with opera. a mullet on the Facts of Life. He was, wasn't he a soap opera actor too? That I don't know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he was like a soap opera actor. Was it him? I believe it was him. I just remember him from the Facts of Life before ER. Because mm-hmm. I'm old as shit. No. Oh. Facts of Life is a great show. That's in my top five of like all time favorite shows that I love. Um, <laughs> you're like what? <laughs> Why? That's a no, weird. that's a, I watched a lot of it too. Oh yeah, yeah. it was good. Yeah. But uh, uh, along with that, you mentioned discomfort at old creepy ass Seth Gecko. Well, yeah. So you know, I guess like overall with this movie and I think what I'm finding and just in general is that like you know we go back and I just want to say this now because I I I feel like there's sort of this um uh it always comes up this like 
you know, looking at something that was made 25, 30 years ago and looking at it through today's lens and calling it problematic and this, that, and the other. And I, I believe it's important to understand context and where something came from and also maybe some like artistic intent and acknowledge, you know, you know, who the people were that were involved in that kind of stuff. But like, I also too, like, um, but then also like, we can acknowledge those things and then also just move on and discuss like the thing that was created for, you know, what it, what it is. Right. Okay. So, um, so what I will say is that, um, some of the things, especially some of the, like when you, uh, like in the, in the opening, you know, in the convenience store and stuff like that, there's, there's a lot of just like, um, <clears throat> uh, like language and ways of, you know, you know, categorizing people that, um, that, um, you know, have different abilities and that kind of thing. Um, people of other races that we would not really see much in movies anymore. This is true. Common. So that's why I just wanted to say this now. So then we can just like talk about it without having to be like, and that was a problematic thing. Like, yes, we know, <laughs> you know, and <clears throat> even at the time I would say these were also supposed to be terrible people, but mm -hmm. I think just in today's time, we they, we would find other ways of showing that they were terrible without like focusing as much on um, disability or race or things like that. But it was in 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 this context, you know, with those characters and in that time period, that's how they did that. Not making excuses. No, you're, you're not wrong. Tarantino faces that criticism a lot uh, <laughs> because he loves movies of the seventies uh, where you could just throw these terms around mm -hmm. uh very lightly and uh, i've actually had to like call out members of my family for throwing out terms like yeah. these the way i will deal cards in if i'm playing uno and want to drop a draw four on your ass um they don't hold up but it does it not only is it a sign of the time, it does reflect what is in every Tarantino movie is that yes. you have bad people uh, dealing with worse people yeah. for the most yeah. part. Um, the only good people in this film are the Fullers. Uh, Jacob, played by yeah. Harvey Keitel, Kate, played by Juliet and Scott, uh, Juliet Lewis and Scott, played by Ernest Liu. Uh, they're a wonderful little but broken family. Uh, yeah, but also heading to Mexico after uh, Harvey Keitel's wife has died. Uh, he is a preacher who's lost his faith. Which is fascinating, too, I think, in the context of this story, right? Um, it certainly is. What I, what I love about it is you've got Ernest Liu, an Asian guy, and they reference it, that that's his son, his adopted son. He loves... Uh, Jacob loves Scott like a son. Kate loves him like a brother. That's their family, even though they look different. And I don't think you got a lot of that in the mid nineties. No, yeah, definitely not. And also too, that wasn't a thing that they, um, I, I don't think that was really dwelled on. I think that was just sort of like, it was understood that was the family. He probably was adopted. Only there was the moment when, um, uh, Seth and who the the Gecko brothers came in, and there was like a moment of like whatever, mm -hmm. but like, and it was like, but really, what it was about is like these are terrible people, and these are assumptions they would make, and that mm -hmm. was like maybe the only the only time. Um, yeah, and you didn't see that at that time. Usually, if like yeah, there was like an adopted child or something, that would be the entire movie about like the the drama with that and that kind of thing. So yeah, that was really yeah, the casting there was really interesting. Um, Juliet Lewis was so young. I was like, oh my god, she's like a young teenager. I was like, oh my god, look at that. Um, but it was like. I guess like there was the the morality piece of it too. And sort of, it was interesting, even just like from character development to see, um, I've, I've the, what, who the pastor, the father, what's his uh, name? Harvey Keitel plays Harvey Jacob. Keitel's character. Yeah. The dad, Jacob, Jacob. Yes. It was interesting to kind of see him and, um, George Clooney's character. It's my memory. I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, that would be Seth Gecko. Seth Gecko. Yes. Um, yeah, kind of seeing their interaction. The dialogue is really good too. Some, you know, kind of reflections there on 
sort of, you know, losing your faith or what does that even mean? And, you know, kind of how important it is to ask yourself some questions. Um, but it was cool seeing their two, the two characters there, you know, kind of in, interact and, and sort of find common ground, a really terrible situation, like a hostage situation, essentially. Now, now here, here's the question before yeah. they get over the border and, and Seth tells Jacob, it's like, when we get over the border, I'll let you go. Uh, and Jacob, of course, doesn't trust him. Right, of course. I am, have always interpreted it as Seth has the code, Richie's the loose cannon. Uh, mm -hmm. Seth yeah. would have let them go in the morning. I think How he would have. You, mm -hmm. you do as well? Cool. I th that and is I think to say would... we agree. <laughs> yes. Well, I think Jacob, the dad, I think it's weird because it's like that thing with like intuition because it kind of doesn't, it's like, oh, this guy, can you really believe him? But he, he, it's like he had no choice but to trust him and act as if that was the reality rather than, because also like how much, we've all seen that movie where it's like crime spree, hostages, we're dragging them along, they're miserable, tied up, and the whole thing is about like managing the hostage situation. In this case, it was weird. They kind of became this bizarro like band of criminals together just to like get to the other, you know, just to. It's know, not quite Stockholm syndrome, but they, they did have to come together. They did. They really did. Pretty Which... quickly. And not only to get over the border, but in the eventual TV twister. Oh my God. Yeah. Well, it was interesting because it seemed like, I guess the idea of like, they were just driving around in this RV. So they were kind of lost and wandering. It was almost like they needed something different. That little family. It was like, oh, this is an exciting adventure on our vacation. You know, like all of a sudden, like something was happening that was not like this terrible sadness of their dad and losing their mom. Sometimes you just got to hit the open road. It's a world of adventure, Char. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, kind of like not a like a buddy movie, but it was it was interesting. For sure. It didn't lean on like the usual tropes that we see in those kinds of like. Well, th that that was the wonderful thing uh, about the 90s and the indie cinema that was coming out that Tarantino was a big part of, along with other filmmakers, is that, you know, they knew all the tropes and they'd subvert them in their own way and, and, and kick things up a notch. Not only... Uh, with a Latin filmmaker like Rodriguez giving these larger roles to people that normally wouldn't get them now because they're his, they're his players. <laughs> they, and in the case of Cheech Marin might've been someone that he grew up uh, watching and enjoying their work. Uh, most notably for me, the wonderful Danny Trejo as Rage Sir Charlie as the bartender at the Titty Twister. Uh, yes. because Danny Trey, not only is he, he works a lot, he makes a lot of shooting movies, but he likes to work. But, you know, it, just so an interesting... Yes. He's so castable. But also an interesting story about this dude who fucked up his life with drugs in prison and came out and has worked every day since to make life better for someone else. And... In my opinion, that makes him the bad motherfucker that he is in in the most wonderful way possible. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Robert Rodriguez cast him in almost all of his movies. Mm -hmm. um, you know, but Robert is Robert Rodriguez is like as a director is really interesting because he oh, also this this movie was a non somehow it was non-union. They Ooh. they made yeah. Um Robert Rodriguez, he usually, and I guess like up until that point, like, you know, he's very like bare bones filmmaker and he does all of the things. He has his group of people that he works with a lot and they'll, you know, like Elmer, um, uh, a mariachi into Desperado. Yeah. That costs like 6,000 bucks to make. Well, yeah. Um, and, uh, so anyway, he has like a really specific process, um, and very collaborative and he has like a really specific way of working which is really interesting i always find i always find fascinating um 
but he's definitely, which definitely doesn't seem to be aligned with sort of how everyone else works. He's kind of had to forge his own path. And I think is now directing a lot of, um, like he directed Spy Kids. Mm-hmm. He's done a lot more like animated and like children's, um, children's like young adult, whatever movies and that kind of thing, which is kind of cool. Cause he has such a, like a magical realism kind of style. I haven't watched most of those. Basically I'm just sitting around waiting <laughs> for Machete Kills in Space. And I don't know when that's going to happen. (laughs) But I want it to happen. I know Robert Rodriguez is doing some Star Wars stuff, but that's Mm -hmm. not Machete Kills in space, which is what I was promised. I want Machete Kills in space. (laughs) When? When? Come on. (laughs) Eddie Trejo, please. Oh, you know, I just thought of, you know, something else too, I was thinking about with Quentin Tarantino, because um, I don't, did you see, uh, was it Once Upon a Time in Hollywood? Of course. Okay, so did I. And I saw it in the theater too, because I feel like Tarantino films are best seen in the theater, as are most movies. But um, I, did you have any thoughts on it? Because it made me think about something with Tarantino, because his, he's a, uh, I think something unlike United or even just in movies today, he's an interesting storyteller because he doesn't tell the obvious story. Mm-hmm. It's sort of like, um, like in that one, it was like, you know, Charles Manson and that kind of stuff. But it was, it's, it's always like these people that are kind of like on the outskirts or the periphery or like, if you see like an old photo and there's a guy standing in the corner, everyone's focused on like, you know, whatever the celebrity famous person and who they are and there's like well who's that person in the corner and how are they there and what's their life and that kind of thing so uh, his story his stories are always interesting they always kind of like dig into um specific lives that sort of aren't necessarily the the main thing that you would focus on like how many movies have been made about charles charles manson and that whole thing you know right a a lot um i I love once upon a time in hollywood just because it was fun Yes. <laughs> it, it it was just a fun movie. And then when you get to the end, and once again, if you're a fan of Tarantino like I am, you've seen Inglorious Bastards, you know he can deviate from history because he fucking feels like it. And he did. <laughs> and that's good too. And just being a sucker for dialogue and loving to do uh comedy. Uh, it's a very quotable movie like many of his are uh so every once in a while just unprovoked i'll just say and 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 then the guy hippie he said uh said i'm the devil and i'm here to do some some devil shit that's not verbatim (laughs) it's the tone of that delivery that just cracks me the fuck up and that's why i quote it constantly (laughs) <laughs> it's yeah it's pretty quotable and kind of fun it sort of fills out that like the world or like whatever like in our imaginations of like what was going on at that time sort of like oh because th- weren't they behind the hollywood sign or something or they were i'm trying to remember like where that the um like the village like the people on the outskirts that were sort of in the in that campsite at spawn ranch yes I don't think that was behind the Hollywood sign. That was just out somewhere. It was an actual. It was somewhere uh, else. Yeah, that's right. it was an actual movie set where the Manson family shacked up. Yeah. Oh, it was um an abandoned drive-through or something. It was next to an abandoned drive-through, I think. Like the, Cliff lived behind a drive-in. Yes. Theater. Yes. Yes. That's sorry. I was kind of I was mixing up details. That's okay. Um, yeah, I, it was fun. And you know what else, too, with that movie? I, the whole time I was anticipating, like, a bloodbath, like, a constant blood. And I was, because it's Tarantino. So I was like, mm-hmm. and I get a little, now I get, it's funny, o- over the years, I've gotten more and more queasy. So I was like, ugh. And I waited, and then I was in the theater, and I was like, oh, my God. I was like, all right, I'm going to, because I just had, like, a lot of soda. So I ran to the bathroom real quick. I was like, I'm just going to go now. And when I came back, it was, like, this perfect window where a lot of the killing happened and I came back as it was kind of wrapping itself up. Oh, you didn't get to see Brandy be the hero? I did. I saw enough of it. I, okay. I just didn't. It wasn't the entire the entire piece. 
and it always gets worse. It's like, oh, they're dead. Oh no, no, we're gonna like, like, like double kill them. Yeah, you gotta be thorough. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's like absurd. It was yeah, like absurd. It was it was great. But, but yeah, that was fun. so anyway, yeah, Quentin Tarantino. I I always do enjoy. I always enjoy his movies. Yeah, bringing it back to the titty twister. Uh, what did you think of Frost and Sex Machine played by Fred Williamson and Tom Savini, respectively? What do I think about them? Yes. Um, I think like uh, just like as characters yeah. or um, I think they served a function i think i think they the actors did a great job i think it was like i did kind of feel like they were just sort of adding more people so that way we could have more people that we were that we cared about to die before we got to the end was sort of i think the the function of those characters i'm not sure what you're asking but in terms of like um yeah the enter entertaining and, and that kind of thing because they were they were human too right they were not yeah. human. Yeah. until they became vampires until they became vampires yeah so i think that was important to see but also because um just you know we had to lose each member of the 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 characters we were the group of characters we were following so um i don't know i don't hmm. this I don't is the, on them. what do you think what this is the first time i saw uh tom savini special effects pioneer uh actor stunt person uh mm -hmm. and mostly i just you know recognized him uh or recognized his cock and balls gun earlier in the film <laughs> which always elicits a chuckle <clears throat> and the fact that his character was named sex machine which is a james brown song that i like so i'm like okay about this he seems fun he's got a whip he does not hesitate at killing vampires. It's a good yeah. time. It was uh, fun. Yeah, yeah. Frost was originally written with him in mind as uh, Savini was a Vietnam vet. But he's like, no, I want to play Sex Machine. And he did. And since his uh, protégés and KNB effects did the special effects for this movie, it only makes sense to put him into the mix. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, I like that too. Um, Non-act or like people who don't normally act, you do other things and you're around it all the time. But like a lot of people are also or started out as performers and actors and enjoy doing that. But then you know, you're more on the like you know t technical side or produce it like that kind of thing. Tarantino was in this movie. He also wrote it and he directs. Mm -hmm. He's not, he usually tries to put himself in, but it's usually like a scene or a line or something. But this was like full on. He plays terrible creep, but um, yeah, that's the oh, <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, no, that that's cool. I love, I love that. I love when that happens. Um, like when yeah, craft crafts people and and other folks are also in the cast. Well, well, you know, it, as creepy as Richie Gecko is, he gets his courtesy of Santanico Pandemonium, played by the lovely Selma Hayek. Oh my and god. The way Robert Rodriguez has always filmed Selma Hayek, I expected her to be this lovely Amazonian woman towering over everyone. And then mm -hmm. I ended up on set with Selma Hayek, and she is so tiny. I just want to put her in my pocket and carry her around and look in on her whenever I need a little pick-me-up. Uh, but in this... She is the the baddest vampire bitch in the room. Yeah, which is so interesting because, you know, Selma Hayek I, in this movie is a little different, but I think for a long time, like the roles that she played were very much like the, like for the male gaze, you know, oh, yeah. she's right. And so, but it was also interesting because yeah, in, in this, like she was set up as that. And then all like the yeah the 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 twist was that she was actually like queen vampire like and and these are atypical vampires from what we typically see where vampires are usually kind of sexy these are 
grotesque serpentine like creatures and even uh sex machine becomes one that's like a giant rat it 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 subverts every myth about vampires that you can just like punch their heart out of their chest and stab it with a pencil it's like anything that the effects crew felt like doing yeah like let's do it it broke all the like vampire rules that that we know yeah yeah you're right i was noticing yeah and and i appreciate them addressing that (laughs) in the film itself like has anybody read a book about actual vampires and and sex machine asked like a time life book like no (laughs) (laughs) time life books were kind of like uh encyclopedic volumes for any of our younger listeners out there um this was before we could just Google vampires. Oh, Time Life. Oh, and they would or- advertise those on TV. Like, they get would. the Time Life set of this historical event or this Great Vampires of Mexico. Yes. <laughs> yes. Ancient civilizations of Central Asia or whatever. <laughs> like, they were very specific. Yeah. Um, the 90s were a weird time. The 90s. Yeah, the 90s were weird. Does everyone know what encyclopedias are? <laughs> I hope did you, not. Did you have an encyclopedia at home? Of course I did. You didn't? Yes. No, of course I did. My, my mother bought a whole set. And the thing that baffled me about that hmm. before the internet became a thing uh, was, okay, what are you going to do when this shit needs to get updated? Right. Like, because... In, in being in school and reading like just something like U.S. history and the textbook ends with Jimmy Carter. It's like, but now Reagan is present. What, so where's the latest volume? Yeah, it's, well, because like history happened slower before, not slower, we just didn't have as much information. So like those updates didn't have to happen as much because we weren't able to do it. My mom, we didn't have encyclopedias in my house because my mom, for the same reason, was like, um, she's like, wait, I'm supposed to buy those. And then what do I do with like, what, in two years when they're not like, what what am I supposed to do with them? Throw them out, buy more. (laughs) She's like, I don't want that laying around the house. She's like, that's what the library is for. I also asked, I, I loved when my mom would drop me off at the library for long periods of time on the weekend. So I think there was, she was not concerned about like me not reading or learning. It was more of like, I don't also want that in my house. Um, yeah. And then the encyclopedias, I guess, went away. And now it's better for the environment. Now we can just go home to the Google box and find shit out. I mean, maybe it's. I mean, a lot of a lot of it could be erroneous, but. I mean, we say like good for the environment, but like, I guess if we like we think in terms of like mass producing that many volumes, because it's like I don't know. I felt like the conceit of an encyclopedia was that it contained all of the like human knowledge we carried that like that we would need to know and make sure that preserved right but very this curated. is what you need to know yeah exactly but also very western i feel like i wonder you know because those were encyclopedias and my experiences growing up in you know in the u.s so i wonder like how that was like in other countries and stuff like that like culturally like how that like what were those encyclopedias like because ours is very much even history from like a u.s perspective you know so i'm like oh i wonder i just i actually just thought about that right now um yeah just saying like the conceit of the encyclopedia at least here in the u.s is very much like well this is history <laughs> and now where are the good guys oh totally yeah <clears throat> um yep that's u.s history for but on no, a light no, on a oh, lighter note <laughs> no encyclopedia or, or time life book for for vampires not that i'm aware of uh, on a... of canon, vampire canon like understood right in theory when you when you encounter a real one you work with what you got you got a, a preacher that can bless some tap water 
for our big fight montage later on. Uh, but before we get into that, what did you think about the music in the film? Oh yeah, oh I'm so excited. I loved it. I mean, they've they it, like the soundtrack too is very specifically like, um, like texas blues like stevie ray vaughn like and the duo the band that was playing at the titty twister i just love that like the whole show is cool to, I, you know what i mean like some yes. high number and the whole thing i was like this is oh my gosh we're even getting like a little musical theater here it was great after dark by tito and tarantula has been on my booty jams mix ever mm-hmm. since yeah it's hot um tito and tarantula which are also like that's the best name ever you guys tito and tarantula um <laughs> the music yes i love the music i mean yeah the stevie ray vaughn said and that's that's classic but also it was just such a good variety from um, time periods too mentioning stevie ray vaughn and texas and vampires uh <laughs> yes. the first time i went to austin uh did a little walking tour and they have a statue of stevie ray vaughn right by the river um, and he's there with his poncho and his hat. And because he looks like Hugh Jackman's character in Van Helsing, the tour guide referred to him as Stevie Ray Vaughan Vampire Hunter, which is now what I always consider to be <laughs> his full legal name. That's a, I love Austin. Austin's fun. I haven't been there since, you know, pre, since before 2020. Mm-hmm um went back there in december had a good time uh queso every day that's important oh always Uh, (laughs) as much barbecue as i can throw into my face it's good food good food did you ever do the um uh the gospel brunch i have not done a gospel brunch okay the one at Stubbs in austin is it's the food is amazing. This is normally I don't like the like brunch and a show, but like it's Stubbs barbecue. But the food, it's like breakfasty bread. It's delicious. I've never had like ribs with a like my eggs <laughs> with toast before. Biscuits is so good. But the show was really great too. So it was, yeah, like this Sunday, I think they had like two or three seatings or something. So it's like great music and also um, and I'm Jewish and enjoyed it. Um, yeah. It wasn't specifically religious, necessarily. But. Well, speaking as an atheist that enjoys gospel and Gregorian chant, it's yes. You yeah. put good. You put good enough food in front of me. I'll listen. Because any <laughs> religious music, yeah, if it's being sung or performed by someone that believes, you feel it in in the tone. Yes, and that's real uh, important. The listener may not have to. Uh, believe in it but like you know if i listen to mahalia jackson or when dolly parton kicks out a spiritual it's like all right yeah yeah we cool we cool no no I mean, we're not gonna pray together but i'll listen to you pass the biscuit yeah i mean right exactly just because that ha- yeah a song or a piece of music or something had its origins and faith doesn't mean that that's i have to that has to also be my experience with it but yeah, there's some, yeah, there's some really great, yeah, Dolly Parton um, does some really good stuff. And there, yeah, some musicians and and singers and stuff who've kind of like repurposed, kind of like re, like, re, you know, reimagined or, or, you know, kind of played some more of the like, you know, kind of spiritual or um, like church music, but um, more god oriented stuff that doesn't seem like it if you don't know well okay you too wasn't you too a christian band and they're lyric okay and i'm not in the in the you know what i mean no not really i've never liked you two my, I don't fa- my favorite rock and roll story of ever pertains <laughs> uh, to you too uh because bono once wrote a letter to captain beefheart asking if he'd like to collaborate sometime. And Captain Beefheart wrote back, and this was his response verbatim. (laughs) Dear Bongo, no. (laughs) I love it. 
That's the best. And that's when I became a fan of Captain Beefheart. (laughs) His music is weird as shit. Totally. (laughs) Especially for the time period. Um, But now, if I can make some personal questions your way. Sure. You're in the Titty Twister. Yeah. You get bit. Do you hide it like Sex Machine? Or do you cop to it like Jacob? Huh. So me as myself? Yes. (laughs) Well, if I'm acting as myself, I would probably hide it. Oh, fuck. (laughs) But not like in an evil kind of way, just because, you know, I'm like, well, this is a thing. Let me take care of this. Let's not, I don't want to burden everybody else in the group. (laughs) Until I couldn't hide. Yeah. Until I couldn't hide it anymore. And then, um, I don't know. I think in this one though, like, I don't know because like what when you tell people I guess it's like they're gonna kill you so how much like how much longer do you want to live until it's really obvious because they turned pretty fast well that that's that that's the uh another odd thing about this movie in yeah. that it took Jacob and Sex Machine some time to turn uh but Frost turned instantly <laughs> mm-hmm which is peculiar. So again, these vampires don't follow a specific set of rules. Right. Wait, Jacob took a while, right? He He did take a while, yes. That's right, he did. Okay. He he was there for the montage. Getting it all together. Blessing the condoms filled with tap water. And the super soaker. I think we needed to see him doing like being the like the morality even though knowing that like oh he went evil he could have just kind of gone fully in that direction and he's like no i'm still gonna you know but are vampires evil or are they just doing what they gotta do to eat i think in this case though the the conflict was set up as like vampires are antagonists yes so maybe i should say yeah and it was sort of like the dark and the light, the good and the evil. So I think we kind of needed to see, like, I is it that easy to to become like once it's a foregone conclusion? Do you just turn that way, or do you hold on to your? See, I don't look at the vampires primarily as evil because the titty twitter twister is a bar for bikers and truckers only. That's only. that's stated yes. there. Very so. Clear that's who they're preying on. They're not going out into the population of Mexico and Mm -hmm. snatching up like women, children, old folks. They are specifically targeting bikers and truckers, some rough and tumble motherfuckers, not only because it may not draw as much attention if these unsavory people disappear, but they probably taste good too. I mean, evil, but they also, I think it's laziness. They're like, hey, let's set up a place here where we know these people are going to come through that might not have, like it might take people too long to realize they're missing or people, they're loners and like that kind of stuff. I don't know. To me, the evilness is the, like the laziness and the the entrapment versus the, um, I'm a vampire trying to live. I guess like the the thing of like true blood, I guess, was sort of the the thing there was that like you could be a um, a vampire with like like reluctantly having like, you know, you have the need to feed and all this other stuff that didn't mean you were necessarily evil. But Mm -hmm. I think in this case, like it was very much like entrapment and appealing to lonely people that, you know, probably haven't, you know, seen a woman in weeks they've been <laughs> whatever they're on, they're on the road and looking for pussy yes that's yeah <laughs> that's exactly um be yeah, that that's way sometimes. i don't know that vampires are specifically evil that's a good yeah i guess vampires kind of sit in that like because they're monsters technically so <laughs> but are all monsters evil <laughs> i look at them for the most part as just any other creature that's trying to survive. Uh, the gator that eats a baby at Disney World, it's not 
evil. It's just hungry. <laughs> All right. Next personal question. Okay. Because uh, throughout the pandemic, I've enjoyed going to drive-ins and watching the last drive-in on Shutter, and into the idea of double features. So you've got From Dust Till Dawn. What movie do you pair with it in your personal Shari drive-in double feature? Oh, oh my goodness, that's such a good question. Thank you. Yeah, no, I'm like, oh my goodness. Well, because like double feature is, I know for some people, they like more of what they just saw, mm -hmm. like to like things together, kind of like when you go see a concert and the opener is sort of like a flavor of the headliner. Um, For me, like when I do the double feature, like even when I go to the theater and, you know, you stay and watch, mm -hmm. um, I almost, I like to see something different, okay. but like maybe thematically um like with a thematic threat i need i i'm i need a moment to think about this is a really good question I All right, you, you take you take your time because i can i can see if you wanted to like fuck with people and just go you know what i want to focus on maybe just this actor in the movie and make it a double feature of them me personally yeah. i'd put near dark with this for your, your double feature a typical uh dirty vampire movie kind of thing that would just be my personal choice huh i'm Does... really thinking i really need to think all right that's okay you do your thing hmm. can we come back to it or is yeah that... we can come back to it sure <laughs> okay i mean like you know don't don't finish up the episode and then go oh and now i got it i, I don't <laughs> I don't it'll come that. to me. It'll, I don't it'll need change. that text when we've done when we've stopped recording. <laughs> like I thought of it. No, it's like such a good question though. So if yeah, I'll it'll it'll something will come to me and yeah in, in a minute. So I feel confident. All right, cool. Okay. Did you watch any of the sequels to this film that went straight to video or the short-lived L Ray TV series? No, I did not see L Ray. I believe I saw the sequel, the second from Dust Till Dawn 2, but like years ago, I don't remember it. Um, and I, what I do remember though, is like it, that not being anything like, yeah, it was just not, not this. It was just a stupid sequel. You're not like, wrong. It, it, awful. <laughs> that's, I, it's like, to me, I'm like, I don't even need to keep this in the, the memory here. Um, the DVD though um, had some cool extras. There was a lot they cut out of mm -hmm. the movie. I don't know if you remember that. I know you were talking about like VHS and stuff. And um, so this may be like 15 years ago. So I, what I remember of having seen some of that additional footage, I think I remember there's like a short film. There's a, there, there was a, a oh god. There was a documentary called Full Tilt Boogie about the That's making it, Full of Tilt the Boogie. Film. The yes, 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 yes. Thank you. I forgot what it was called. You're Can welcome. You... Okay. What was, um, it was like, I know there's a lot of footage they didn't use and that kind of stuff. And there was, it was like a making of, but it was really cool. <laughs> that's what I, that's, sorry. That's what I remember of that on the DVD. Would that be your double feature then? Um, yeah, I think that's <laughs> fun. Yeah. Why not? I don't want to plan your double feature for you. I think that's an option, but I do think, you know, you know what though, what we have lost and not having DVDs or actual like physical media anymore, like rec I mean, we do have records and stuff, but like, you know, cassette tapes, you'd have like the album, like the, the art and the lyrics and all these other, like other things you could package along. Um, like, so I think like in those, in this kind of case, like they would include a lot of times, like in DVDs, you'd have all these like extra features and stuff like that. Like, like the deleted scenes, like tons of deleted scenes and short documentaries about the making of and that kind of thing, which is kind of fun that we don't get anymore. And I guess sometimes if you buy a digital thing, like on Apple or whatever, you can get the extras, but who, like, who does that? Does anyone do that? I still buy DVDs and Blu-rays because I don't want to be inconvenienced by a streaming 
service. If there's a movie that I really enjoy uh, or to complete my collection, because I've got all the ones before it, um, I'm going to buy it. That's why I already own Cocaine Bear. I want to see that. You need to see that. That's the movie that could heal America. Really? Okay. Okay. I need to see this. I, I'm like, I do like like drug movies for some reason. Not like whatever. Anyway, and then uh, I love bears. So <laughs> I do. I love bears. Sure. <laughs> I'm excited. Yeah. Um. Uh, but yeah, back to the double feature thing for a oh, second. Double don't, feature. Don't let me influence you. If you want to, well, since I, you love romantic comedies you could fuck off and say you know what one fine day starring george clooney immediately after from dust that's fair i think i might you know what though i think maybe more i would probably go in like a juliette lewis direction all right um yeah because she was yeah she was like maybe like a late teen early tw- like she was super yeah like just kind of getting started there in, in some of these things. And then, you know, she did um she did American History X. She was not in American History X. Oh no, no, no. X. It was that was for Roosevelt. That's no, I'm what's the movie? I can't remember the name of it, but I'm seeing it. Um they were like the Natural Born Killers? Yes, thank you. I was like they were like Bonnie and Clyde, but bloody but and like modern. Um very romantic film. <laughs> um so I don't know. There's there's some yeah maybe a little Juliette Lewis direction or maybe something thematic. Um, or maybe contrasting like a like a vamp like a classic vampire. Do you have a favorite vampire film? Hmm. I don't know that I have a favorite vampire film. That's a good question too. Hmm. I've had, you know, I do, you know what I've, I've like the past couple of years I've had um, probably just, you know, cause we've been, you know, kind of like isolated and we're coming out of that and stuff. My recall for like names of movies and, and things like that, that I just haven't interacted with. I have a hard time. Like I can see it in my mind, but like, I can't, um, uh, no, I get it. After Rona, you know what I mean? okay. most of the song lyrics that I had in my brain, they're gone now. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. But that's uh, all right. That's okay. That's fine. Um, so um, we're anyway. improvisers. We make shit up. Oh, totally. Speaking of yeah. which, like I said, if you're listening to this on the day that it drops, come on out to Young Ethel's in Brooklyn and you'll find Spooky Doings improv improvising on stage at our debut hopefully we get a nice turnout and that can become our new home yeah yeah young Ethel's is amazing i love it i'm excited it'll be a really fun show you have really i mean yeah the cast is awesome i saw everyone I'm like oh, everyone's so fun and great and then um your storytellers um good folks too yeah i'm really yeah really excited what time is it three three o'clock we're yeah. we're gonna do a little warm-up we're gonna start the show at 3 30 do a little intermission in between sets. There's going to be stand-up comedy by Gregory Hall as well. And oh. we've got the room until five. So you can still have everything that you want to do with your Saturday in New York. It'd be a really fun time to come. Young Elfils is really great. It's a great place to hang out at too. Um, they, their space in the back is really great. It's cute. Um, I know it's like uh, the bar has great drinks, really nice folks. Um, and then the space in the back, the stage, it's yeah cozy the chairs are comfortable it's really really good it's a nice space and fun to hang out at they have a lot of cool spaces there's like little outdoor area too so it's nice to hang out and give a couple like like uh old like arcade games and stuff in there i'm gonna play that monsters pinball game at some point I love so where can the people find you if they want to find you people can find me um on instagram um at uh at shari hazlett um and i usually like you know any of my shows and things like that that i'm doing um you know performing directing producing whatever um, i usually post stuff there um so um you know folks could follow me follow me there and they should 
You can check out Spooky Doings Improv on Facebook for more information about our performances. Uh, Spooky Doings on Instagram. I'm at Rick Guzman 718 on Tweety. And yeah, Sharon, thank you for being our guest host, talking thank to you. me about From Dust Till Dawn. And hopefully when we perform, I will be healthy and be able to hug everyone that I haven't seen in person for like three fucking years. <laughs> yes. And it'll be a good time. It will be a good time. I'm looking forward to it. Thank you. This is really fun. My pleasure, though. And in the meantime and in between time, everybody stay good, stay healthy, stay spooky. Thanks. Thanks.